is Jerry DiPiano, and you are listening or possibly watching the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Catherine Sharif. And Catherine is Catherine and I are going to be speaking with, having a conversation with Danica Belial, who is a doctor of physical therapy and is an expert in pelvic physical therapy. And that's our topic today. The topic of pelvic physical therapy. What is it? Why should woman, a woman consider it? And what are some of the different conditions that may be addressed by pelvic physical therapy? But before we jump in, um, since many of you may not have met Dr. Sharif in the past, pre, the, the past podcast, Catherine, perhaps you could start by uh, giving a little bit of your background and then we'll jump in and have Danica do the same. Okay, great. Thank you, Jerry and Danica. So happy to have you here today. Uh, so I'm an internist in Philadelphia, and my practice is primary care in women, and we incorporate a lot of office gynecology, and we feel that women shouldn't have to have two different doctors uh, to take care of themselves, and that physicians should know uh, all about reproductive health. Um, so I'm one topic I'm very interested in is in pelvic floor physical therapy. Uh, 20 years ago, I had a wonderful mentor, a urologist by the name of Dr. Tamara Babindam, and she taught me about the pelvic floor. And I thought uh, the vagina is like where you put the speculum. That's where the speculum belongs. Not that it is part of this very complex system. So I can't wait to hear more about what you have to say. Thanks, Catherine. So Danica, tell us more about Dr. Danica Malal and your journey to become a pelvic floor physical therapist. Hi, um, I'm Danica Blyle. Uh, thank you, Jerry, for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm a physical therapist in Shorewood, Illinois. I currently run a mobile practice providing pelvic floor physical therapy for women in home because I find a lot of women have a hard time leaving the home with little ones and not having childcare. So I was like, you know, it'd be a good idea to, for me to come to them. Um, so I started that last year, uh, but going backwards, I was a hospital corpsman in the Navy for four years. Um, then shortly after that, I graduated from University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign with uh, my bachelor's in integrative biology then went to Midwestern University to get my master's in biomedical sciences. Then got my DPT at Governor State. So I went to school for a long, long time, but I've been a PT for over seven years now. I originally started doing mainly orthopedics and a lot of my experiences as a therapist and my own personal experiences kind of led me towards pelvic health. Um, not only from having two children on my own and having issues, um, but I felt like pelvic floor physical therapy was the missing piece when trying to resolve any dysfunction with like low back pain, hip pain, pelvic pain. Um, I, I, I found that uh, pelvic floor plays a dual role in lumbopelvic function. And there's been many studies showing that more than 90% of women 
who have low back pain will also have pelvic floor dysfunction. So they go hand in hand. Um, but I love it. It's a very underserved area. And, you know, it's very rewarding when you can change someone's quality of life. You know, I've come across people where they don't want to leave their home because they're afraid they, you know, that someone can smell their urinary incontinence or fecal incontinence. Um, people avoiding social events because of that. Um, but I love it so much. And this is like the most passionate I've ever been in my career. Well, well you're a lifelong learner for sure. And I <laughs> hear that because I think all, all of us, the three of us are probably lifelong learners. I, you know, I, I continue to educate myself on topics that sometimes are pretty inane, but most of them actually relate to what the work that we do here at Fem Pharma. And um, I love medicine and, and science. So I think we are all appreciating your journey. And thank you for sharing that with us. Thank Catherine, you. perhaps you want to start off with um, some questions that you have for Danica. Yes. Uh, so for our listeners, um, I would love, who may not know much about the pelvic floor, I would love to hear the way that you conceptualize the pelvic floor. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, sometimes I describe it as a bowl to my patients. Um, other times um, I'll talk about uh, a hub and spokes. And, you know, the hub is the perineum and the muscles are the spokes that go in there. And so um, how do you describe it? Because it's, it is abstract and complex. It is. Um, so I like to teach patients that the pelvic floor is almost like a, you know, a trampoline holding your pelvic organs up there's 18 muscles in the pelvic floor. And a lot of people are not aware of how many there are and they all play different roles, um, but they support nerves, um, they innervate the reproductive, colorectal and urinary organs. Um, I assess like the weakness, if there's tightness, scar tissue, um, any sort of spastic it, um, tissues um, that we may find. Um, for example, uh, a lot of people think pelvic floor physical therapy is all about like doing kegels. I don't like to call it kegels. I call it like pelvic floor contractions. Um, but it's not just that because it's not for everyone. Uh, like, for example, if someone came in with painful bladder syn uh, syndrome, kegels are definitely not in the picture for that. Um, usually they need a little bit more down training muscle lengthening, um, a lot of breath work to help downtrain the nervous system in order for those muscles to relax and lengthen. And then if there is weakness, you know, after we get the muscles to calm down, then we can probably initiate the kegels. Um, but also if I come across someone with pelvic floor weakness, they can have symptoms such as like urinary or fecal incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse, pain, discomfort, or any sort of like pressure towards um, the pelvis. So for the, those patients, you know, if there's weakness, a pelvic floor contraction would be more appropriate. Um, but yeah, we, the main um, focus is how the organs move upon each other is important and how those muscles react to it. Um, and see how they're functioning. 
So it's interesting that many women, when they think about PT, physical therapy, they may be thinking about you manipulating their muscles so externally. But tell us what the baseline, how you do a baseline exam. So let's say I came in for, you know, I, I had a complaint. Maybe I was having urinary incontinence. Just, we can use that as an example. What, what process do you go through in order to assess what I may need as a patient? Yeah. Um, like, well, first, you know, be the initial evaluation. So the very beginning is just getting a lot of subjective, you know, their health history, their symptoms, any questions that they may have, um, and see what their goals are. Um, if they want to return to biking or be able to jump again. Um, but after gathering all that information, then we do the initial assessment of checking uh, their posture and how, how they sit and how the load transfer occurs. Like if they tend to lean over one side more than the other while sitting, um, we check uh, movement patterns, if there's any faulty moving patterns that they're just in a habit of doing over and over, but they tend to cause pain. Um, range of motion to see what movements can provoke their symptoms, and they'll give me a better idea which muscles can be involved. Um, next would be an external assessment of the pelvis, where we, I check pelvic alignment, um, the strength of the trunk and hip or any other body parts that may be involved. Um, the internal assessment is, you know, with patient's consent. Um, so when we do internal pelvic floor assessment, we check for if there's a prolapse, any tenderness or painful areas, muscle strength, their endurance, reflexes, tone, um, their coordination with their breathing, um, and yeah, and just overall function of the pelvic floor. Um, we use, uh, I use the Laycock quantitative assessment scale to assess strength and endurance and the quick contractions, slow contractions. Um, what is yeah, the Laycock from, scale? Can you describe what the Laycock scale is for listeners? Yeah, so the Laycock scale... So P stands for the power, so strength. So just want to see how strong they can hold a contraction. Then endurance, I want to see how long they can hold that contraction before fatiguing out. And then the R represents repetition. So how many times can they do that with a little bit of a break in between? And then F stands for the fast twitch. So can they contract, relax, contract, relax, and see how much they can do that in 10 seconds. So it all done internally? Yes. That's my question. Yeah, internal for that, yes. Okay, okay. so you might have, uh, uh, say, a finger inside the vagina and say, squeeze my finger? Yes. Yeah, so it's graded zero being no palpable contraction, five being, you know, absolute strongest. Um, so what I look for is if the patient can coordinate um, both vaginal canal, like the walls of the vaginal canal, if they equally squeeze around the finger, if I feel a gentle tug, almost like a baby sucking on your finger, right. then I would say that person had five out of five strength. Sometimes I'll feel one side of the vaginal canal can has a contraction, but the other side 
is not, and there could be some sort of dysfunction there, whether the muscle is being inhibited because it's in a contracted state or if it's tight, painful, or any scar tissue might be involved. So in that case, you know, we try to, you know, do a little bit of scar tissue mobilization and try to see if we can do some manual techniques to facilitate that muscle to coordinate properly. Great. Can you um, discuss um, the number of women who have low back pain who may have a pelvic floor disorder? Uh, that's intriguing. It is, Gavin, because they are they're next door neighbors. They're all very close in proximity. Um, and I like to look at the trunk as like a little, like a canister. Mm -hmm. You have your diaphragm as the top, you know, the sides of your trunk and you have your obliques, then front, you know, rectus abdominis, transverse abdominis, you have your back muscles and then the pelvic floor. So they all, once, the, when they're all functioning properly the pelvic floor is happy. So. Sure. And then um, how can a clinician tell if back pain may be due to pelvic floor as opposed to a lumbar strain? Um, that like, it's, it'll be hard to kind of see what came first, the chicken or the egg. And that's mm -hmm. where I'll kind of gather their subjective, like how long they've had their back pain versus how long have their pelvic floor issues have been occurring because mm -hmm. they and we kind of see what is actually the driver of all these symptoms. We try okay. to get to the root cause and yeah. Okay. Do you think that um, pelvic floor spasm or pelvic floor dysfunction could be associated with constipation? Absolutely, yes. Um, well, the pelvis is a very small space technically. And so if you have the sigmoid colon sitting in there, the bladder, and there's not much room. So if we have, you know, constipation going on, that's going to take up a lot of the room and the muscles can't move and glide and contract, relax like they should. Um, organs, are, I mean, they don't technically move, but they should be able to glide upon each other with movement. So if there is constipation blocking, pelvic floor gets angry. Yeah. You know, I do wonder why women have so much constipation in this country, and I think we've barely scratched the surface of diagnosing pelvic floor problems um, that we're waiting for. Uh, I mean, we need more education, and we need to listen to our patients and refer to someone like you, because the ones who get to you, I think, are the lucky ones, right? I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like a lot of our sessions, is, it's very educational. It's, you know, I ask them how much fiber they're intaking. And to be honest, a lot of them are well under the recommended 35 grams. And yeah. it is very hard to reach 35 grams of fiber daily, even for someone who is strictly on a vegan diet. Diet. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, we, we discuss like other food options and I'll give them a handout of certain foods with fiber. Mm -hmm. And if they still just cannot stomach 35 grams, like, hey, if you're a cereal eater, you know, there's great cereals out there and that can probably cut off a, about a third of your daily needs of fiber. Um, yeah, and then, you know, teaching them too that water is your best friend, like your 
body is mostly made out of water. Yeah. And that's probably one of the, yeah, fiber and water. Those are the big ones. Yes. For sure. Women don't get enough fiber. And I know when I talk to my patients, um, they tell me, yeah, well, I eat salad. And I tell them lettuce, tomato, cucumber, radishes, peppers, carrots. They don't, they have water and they have vitamins. So it's like vitamin water. That's your salad. But mm-hmm. most salads do not have uh, things in them with high fiber, like, for example, like chickpeas. One of yeah. the things I also tell my patients is that, you know, an apple is like two and a half grams of fiber. So you'd need a lot of apples to get to 35 grams of fiber a day, but a pear is about seven grams of fiber. And so there are ways to get fiber in your diet. And of course, with cereal too, you could knock off a huge amount of fiber. So it sounds like you do so much counseling um, in your job. Yeah, it is. And it's it's pretty eye-opening. A lot of people don't know these things. I feel like Mm -hmm. um, pelvic health is, it's like forbidden to talk about. When I was going through my own pelvic floor issues after my children, and I would bring it up to some friends, they're like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Like, it was hard to find someone to relate to. And, um, but yeah, the information and the help is out there. And I'm hoping to spread more awareness and for women to get the help they need. Sound like a wonderful advocate. Thank you. Absolutely. We, um, I had the experience of running a clinical trial for overactive bladder. And when we were doing our inclusion and exclusion criteria, and we interviewed many of these subjects for the study, they experienced both um, what we will call chronic pelvic pain syndrome, They also had a combination of what we call overactive bladder and stress incontinence. So both urinary incontinence and mixed incontinence, it was very imprecise, right? It was very imprecise and also constipation. So this, the interesting part of that was that for those women that had constipation, they were taking heavy, using laxatives more than they should have been using laxatives. So part of the problem that we encountered was we had to exclude those women because their their overactive bladder or these bladder symptoms that they were experiencing had a lot to do with the fact that they were overusing laxatives. They really hadn't addressed the underlying cause of the bladder problem or the constipation. So they used medication and sometimes overused the medication. What, What are your thoughts on you know, trying to break that down to figure out what's, what came, you said this earlier, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. And, um, well, I am not a fan of laxatives. I try to talk my patients out of it because long-term use of it, your body starts to, you know, develop a dependency on it. Um, but I try to see if like they can do daily movement, you know, movement to their core and um, like there's also uh, a colon massage that I can, I teach patients, which is really easy. Um, but um, usually it's, it's a lifestyle change. It really is. And the patient has to be willing to make these little changes. And so what I like to tell them, like, if you're going to find some cereals, like with fiber, make sure you like it. If you want it to be something long-term and be- make it become a habit, 
you have to enjoy it. You don't want to make yourself miserable and force yourself to eat the fiber to relieve your constipation. Um, and sometimes like it's eye opening for them. They're like, oh, I never really thought about it that way. Or I was telling like, you know, when you're eating your fruit, like eat the skin too. You know, the skin will have some fiber, some um, insoluble fiber. Um, let me see what else. Oh, that's about it. I'm intrigued by the, the comment on the laxatives because obviously there are a number of laxatives that are on the shelf today. And um, there is there are weight loss drugs that have become available today, which effectively are you know encouraging the same type of behavior. So the pelvic floor physical therapy really looks at the underlying causes. And there are so many different types of symptoms that women experience that could be ameliorated by pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, I, I was actually surprised in a good way for the number of different types of conditions and the different ways in which one could address that. So maybe you could describe a few of those for us. Yeah, uh, for postpartum women, um, a big one is diastasis recti, which is ab separation. Um, incontinence is another, um, overactive bladder. Um, going back to incontinence, I see a lot of urge incontinence with uh, postpartum, like immediate postpartum. Um, constipation is big, um, hemorrhoids, anal fissures. So those kind of go with the constipation, um, pelvic organ prolapse, low back pelvic pain, breastfeeding mechanics that a lot of women will complain of upper back pain, shoulder, neck pain from breastfeeding. So I teach them, you know, mechanics, posture, exercises to keep them more upright. Um, tailbone pain, coccidinia, that's what it's termed. Um, also, ep episiotomy and C-section scar pain, that's also a really big one where some um, moms will feel like they can't use their abs or they're unable to have intercourse because of their episiotomy scar. So those are some of the top ones for postpartum. It's a pretty long list. It, I'm, I'm probably missing some too. Yeah, there's a pretty, there's a pretty long list. And, you know, and yet, when we have conversations with women, again, whether it's on the clinical side of things, or it's on the consumer side of things, it's easy to want to, st to start with medication and not look at the contributing causes of it and, and ways in which one could address that, again, in the most effective way without necessarily resorting to one more pill it sounds crazy since I'm a drug manufacturer, right? But I really do believe in prevention. I look at natural ways in which to address women's health issues, symptoms that they are experiencing. And I think pelvic PT is a very important component of the equation. Certainly, you know, pharmaceuticals and over-the-counter medications that are known to be efficacious can be helpful, but not until one has discerned what's going on. Can you comment about pelvic floor disorders in men and are they common? You know, I actually do not treat men at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I am trained to treat them, but right now, um, since I'm doing mobile practice, um, I'm not doing men at the moment. Uh, but some will have 
like testicular pain, pain mm-hmm. with ejaculation. Um, constipation is big for men as well. Mm-hmm. Um, erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, after a prostate removal, you know, a lot of them will have urinary incontinence. So retraining their pelvic floor to strengthen. Um, yeah, and sometimes fecal incontinence as well. Mm-hmm. Do you use any equipment in your work? I do. So I do. We do have a biofeedback machine, which mm-hmm. um, there's a intravaginal probe, and then the patient can see it on a screen. Um, like when they contract, relax, it gives them that auditory and visual feedback. Um, it's really good for those that have a hard time coordinating their breath with their pelvic floor. Um, for example, if someone is the type to squat and hold their breath and come back up. So it's trying to retrain that um, when you inhale, pelvic floor relaxes, mm-hmm. exhale, pelvic floor contracts. So it, it, it's hard to retrain that coordination because um, during pregnancy, as the baby grows, we become more of a chest breather and we're not using our diaphragm, you know, to its full potential. And then after baby is born, we still stay in this chest breathing pattern, but it's not efficient. We're not actually taking full breaths in. Um, So retraining how to breathe properly, it sounds silly, but it's a big component of strengthening the core. It's, you know, it's the most inner muscle that you can actually manipulate and train. You have women that come in, we talk a lot about um, women who may experience vaginismus. Um, so the, you know, the vagina just won't open. It, I always say mm. the vagina went on strike. It could go on strike for a lot of different reasons. It could be trauma, right? As you described, uh, postpartum uh, trauma, uh, difficult birth, could be sexual trauma. It could be a combination of uh, menopause, so perimenopause, and, and that could be playing a role. How do you, how do you help women to relax so that you can actually do your exam? And how do you, how do you help women in particular who may have one of the conditions that I just described? Well, so for vaginismus, most women, not all, will have also anxiety and you can, I can get a little bit of a vibe as I'm getting their subjective history, if they're nervous or uncomfortable. So, you know, I leave it to the patient, you know, if you want to have the internal exam, that's fine. If not, that's okay too. So it's whatever you're comfortable with. I let them kind of lead the way. Um, but we could still treat them even without going internally. You know, there's a lot of external pelvic and abdominal techniques, um, a lot of breath work, nervous system down training. So trying to activate the vagus nerve which is responsible for relax, you know, relaxing, digesting. Um, And then there's even stretches to help like kind of mobilize the vulva, the the musculature that crosses into the pelvic floor. There's so many different things that we can do that doesn't have to go internal, provoke their pain and make things worse. Because the last thing I want to do is provoke their pain and then they tighten up even more. So we just, I, Typically, we'll work a little further away, maybe like upper abdominals. And, you know, as the patient tolerates, you know, maybe in a couple sessions and they feel more relaxed, then we can proceed if they wish to. 
That's great to know because we we obviously we hear about this quite often where women will experience the vaginal tightening and it may be in you know in conjunction with some trauma that they may have experienced uh, they're avoiding intercourse so the thought of going to a pelvic pt where they have to have an internal exam may put them off so it's really good to know that this is not the only way that they can be helped by pelvic physical therapy Absolutely. And there's things like if they don't want to try in the clinic, they can try at home. So say if they want to start like a dilator program and they don't want to do it in front of me and that's fine. I'm like, do it at home where you feel comfortable, where you feel most relaxed and confident that, you know, in yourself. So whether it's like taking a bath and calming down, play some music, do some yoga prior to it, and then see how, you know, if you can maybe insert a small dilator to start and then see how it feels. And then we slowly can work up from there. But yeah, usually the patient always sets the pace and, and I'm just there to guide them. That's good to know. Do you ever work with, um, with a psychologist uh, or a licensed clinical social worker that um, can help to facilitate some of this? Um, no, but I don't know anyone personally, but I will you know, refer the patient to go see maybe if there's a counselor, or like a, a sex therapist, the most of the sex therapists here live further north. I don't know of anyone new around the area, but yeah, I would suggest like other options that they could explore just so they can make an informed decision about their health care. Um, but yeah, counseling is a big por portion of it, especially if they're experiencing anxiety with the vaginismus. Or, or any sexual trauma in the past. And what are your thoughts on, you know, we see a number of different companies that have emerged and I'm not gonna single them out, but they have various devices that they claim will strengthen the pelvic floor. They're used for vaginal, they call it for vaginal laxity and for, you know, because that's the technical term. It's we, women may know this as it feels loose, the vagina yeah. feels or in the case of vagin, you know, we talk about vaginismus or vaginal stenosis, that it feels tight. And tight isn't necessarily a good thing because that might mean that the vagina is closing on itself. Mm -hmm. so what are your thoughts on these, um, on the, the companies have, that have come up with these devices that supposedly strengthen the pelvic floor? I mean, maybe I don't know too much about them, but I think I mean, it would be great. Maybe it's like training wheels to get you started, but I think for long-term effects, your, your body is going to have to do it. So, I mean, maybe it can get you started and you get an idea. Okay. I can do a pelvic floor contraction, but overall, I, I don't know too much about them, but I think everything that a pelvic floor therapist do, like we can replicate a lot of the same stuff. You know, um, one of the things I've observed about medical practice, conventional Western medical practice, is that we are disease-based. So we wait till you have a problem, and then we come up with a pill or something, and we aim, you know, we aim, uh, we aim the gun or we aim the pill or whatever, and take care of the problem. What can we do to promote pelvic floor health so that we don't get problems? I think immediate postpartum or even before baby comes, like just to have more 
pelvic floor therapists, even on the acute floor, like labor and delivery, just, you know, educating the patient, like what they can expect, Mm -hmm. um, or even just like tying in pelvic floor dysfunction into a baby class or, um, I just feel like it needs to be out there. More women, there's just so much knowledge that I've learned over the years. And I'm like, whoa, I never learned, knew this until my late thirties. I wish I knew this before, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of information out there. I feel like there should be, yeah, some sort of push where there's more therapists on labor and delivery, especially because a lot of women go home and they're just left there with baby and they're like well all these things are happening and no one talked about it beforehand and right. like they can't can... sit down because of the coccidinia right they can't uh they pee on themselves because of the urge uh incontinence yeah. and right yeah and especially like their episiotomy scar their c-section scar you know like things that they can do to help mobilize it and make it feel more comfortable as they move have intercourse Mm -hmm. so there's a lot that can be done you know it's interesting that you that you talk about the transitions throughout a women a woman's life we we think about it as um when a woman begins to menstruate so when she enters puberty are there things that she should be taught as she goes through puberty about her breathing about the way in in which she conducts herself from the standpoint of her posture um the way in which she exercises and breathes it sounds like it, it could all go back to developing health pelvic health even in her teens and then moving into her 20s and 30s and i think that your you know acknowledgement of what happens um, during pregnancy and then postpartum is super important. And then obviously when women start to enter menopause, and we know that the incidence and prevalence of these types of conditions, whether it's incontinence, fecal incontinence or urinary incontinence or chronic pelvic pain associated with hormonal changes can also be disheartening to a woman and she feels that she has no resources. So starting early, does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, oh, for sure. I think when I got my first period, I'm like, whoa, what, what's going on? And my mom's like, here, here's a pad. And that was it. But yeah, I think early education is huge because knowledge is power. And that makes women feel more empowered with their health and decisions that they make about whether they want to go on birth control or have a hysterectomy later in life or anything like that. But I feel like there's a lot of knowledge that needs to be shared for sure. And I think the earlier, the better. So it sounds like pelvic floor PT is something that we should all embrace. And the sooner, the better. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And for those women that are uncomfortable, because let's face it, there are you know a number of women that are uncomfortable, even with a woman, well, women practitioners are leading medicine these days, right? Um, and more more gynecologists are women. Uh, more nurse practitioners are are women. They're dominating the field. Um, what about the field of uh, pelvic PT? Is it mostly women who are yes, practicing? mostly women. I know only one male therapist, but otherwise, yeah, everyone that I've come across are females. Which also speaks to the incidence and prevalence of these types of problems in the <laughs> yes. population, right? So yeah, it, it does make sense, and. In terms of training, so if you are 
seeking help from someone who is a pelvic PT, what should you look for? I mean, there are certainly women that are in your region should reach for you at Midwest Pelvic Health. Um, but what if they live on the East Coast or it, what if they live in different parts of the country and they're looking for someone who is a trained pelvic PT? Are there certain credentials that they should be looking for? Um, you can go on Herman and Wallace. That's where I did all my training. Um, they're the large pelvic institute. On their website, they have, um, so anyone that's did training through them, they can, uh, practitioners can put themselves into the directory and you can type in your zip code and see who's available in your area, um, as well as APTA, which is the American Physical Therapy Association. Um, those are two big ones that you can check to see if any pelvic floor therapists are near your area. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that with us. So it's not just anyone that can do this sort of work. I believe what you've learned um, or as a listener is that, yes, there are physical therapists and then there are pelvic physical therapists. And the training for the pelvic physical therapist is more intensely focused on Maybe more. It may start out more generically as as a physical therapist, but there are special credentials that pelvic PTs earn that help them to distinguish themselves from others, and to provide that that as a resource to you, the patient. What are the credentials? So, so if you ha have taken the training through mm -hmm. Herman and Wallace, which is one of the um, major training. Um, groups in the country, that certainly is a credential that you should be looking for. Yeah, you, and that's where you can find them on their website. Um, there is a PRPC certification, uh, pelvic rehab practitioner certification. Um, yeah, there's some people with that. Um, I haven't sat down for the exam, not yet. Hopefully, maybe end of the year. But that's something that yeah, patients can look for that. And then if they were certified through APTA, it would be WCS, which is the women's certification. Um, so those are the two that they can look for. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. We have really enjoyed having this conversation. I don't know about you, Catherine. Um, I oh, learned, learned so much. This is a great conversation. I truly hope that our listeners and viewers have done the same. The, the takeaway is that you do have resources available to you if you are experiencing any number of these symptoms. Perhaps a pelvic physical therapist is a person to whom you should reach out. Uh, if you happen to be in the Midwest, you can certainly reach out to Danica. Visit her website, Midwest Pelvic Health. If you purchase one of the Mia Vita products, the personal lubricant and vaginal moisturizer, you will get a discount. Just put in the code MWPH10 and you will receive 10% off. And obviously, if you are experiencing pain, burning, itching, you should probably consider using something. Uh, we have a water-based personal lubricant and vaginal moisturizer that we see women 
using quite often. And you said something earlier about compliance, right? So if you really hate the the whether it's cere the cereal or if you really hate eating fruit, you're not going to do it. And so what we try to do with our product line is to make it easy to use, very straightforward, elegant, highly effective ingredients. Just need a tiny little amount, but you need to try it and uh, to experience the difference. So you'll have that opportunity at a discount. So we we are very grateful to you, Danica. Thank um, you for having me. Catherine, as my co-host, um, this is a wonderful conversation. And we want to encourage our listeners to check out Midwest Pelvic Health. Danica Vallejo, thank you so much for your time today. Thank, thank you, you so much. Jerry. We look forward to the next time. Thank you. Until then, this is Jerry DiPiano and Dr. Catherine Sharif signing off. And remember to love Mia Vita. Thank you.